Christmas and uh, found a new use for a box. How about you? Did you too? Wouldn't sound that way if I tried to play the box, but uh, thank you, Chip. Appreciate that. And uh, I apologize, Ruby. I should have known better than I didn't even ask you if I could say your birthday. I should have said you're 39 and holding, shouldn't I? <laughs> You've been doing that for a while, I bet, haven't you? Thank you for coming today. If you're visiting with us, we're glad you're here today. The bombs have a number of visitors with them and have had a, a very busy weekend, and that will continue, sounds like. But uh, it's good to see you folks with us today, and hopefully you'll enjoy your bomb play later today as well. I hear that goes on quite a bit. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to the last book of the Old Testament? It's called Malachi. We're going to be in a number of passages today, but I'd like us to begin there, the book of Malachi. We're going to be looking at chapter 3, one key verse there in just a moment. The title of the message this morning is Change. Just one word, change. Uh, I don't know about you, but... For Barb and I, change is such a part of life. Probably is with you too, isn't it? Um, I know in interim pastor work, we've come to realize that that's the way life is. Um, as we were returning from Grand Rapids here a week or so ago, um, that's our permanent home is in Grand Rapids. And we were returning back here to Princeton to our home away from home. The apartment you folks have uh, very graciously provided over there on, what's the road? Backbone Road. Backbone Road. Um, it was a blessing. We were talking about it on the way back, and Barb said, uh, you know, our life seems to be in, in a lot of flux these days, whatever that means. It was a few days later, uh, we were out back. We were uh, raking some leaves and blowing some leaves along with the neighbor that lives underneath us, become friends of ours now, and Mike and Kathy. Um, they, attend the covenant, they attend the Covenant Church, and we forgive them for that. But uh, we've got to know them quite well. And, and uh, so we were kind of working together and hanging out together, having a good time, blowing some leaves off the back part of the parking lot. And, and uh, as a result of that, I couldn't help but think about the thought of change, and Barb brought that up, and I said, you know what, that would be my article in the newsletter, so you'll see that when it comes out tomorrow. But uh, I also thought, let's, let's take a few moments this morning and focus in on this thought of change. I want you to think with me. The seasons change, as you know. Summer comes and or goes, and the harvest comes, fall comes. Kings and rulers change all the time. God is in charge of all that. He raises up folks and he removes them at his will. Politics and cultures, they change drastically. Businesses come and go, don't they? Matter of fact, even baseball managers come and go. Um, as you probably know, the Cardinals now not only have to battle the Cubs, we have to battle Grandpa Rossi as well in the future, so uh, we're in trouble. I don't know if that rang a bell with anybody or not. But it's interesting, uh, 
we were praying for a particular church that's existed here for a few years that is closing its doors this morning, I understand. And uh, churches and pastors come and go, don't they, as well. Barb is right. Things seem to be in flux, continually moving, passing by. I guess change is inevitable. Change is inevitable. But there is someone who never changes. Did you know that? Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And in Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, the prophet Malachi is talking about the Lord, and the Lord says, I, the Lord, do not change. Not a very long verse, but it's a powerful verse. And what a great thought. I, the Lord, the Jehovah God, does not change. Now, the context of, of this whole setting here, uh, near the end of the Old Testament era as we know it, prior to the Messiah's coming, uh, the nation of Israel being God's chosen people, God has signed a covenant with them years before. Uh, they were his chosen people. They were the apple of his eye. And, and this was, in a sense, an unconditional covenant that God had. Now, his blessing was quite conditional, but as far as them being his and belonging to him, never to be left by God, that was true. And in, in, in Malachi, as you know, the nation of Israel has been quite rebellious, and uh, God is, has removed his blessing in many ways. And in this particular chapter, in verse 6, he said, I, I don't change. I don't change. There's a covenant with you that I have, and that will never change. He said, the problem isn't me. They, they said, you've gone away. You've left us. And we're really hurting. And he said, no, it's the other way around. I haven't gone anywhere. I don't change. You're the ones who have changed. You're the ones who have backslidden, have walked away from me. And as long as that happens, I cannot bless you like I long to bless you. That's the context of this setting. You go down to verse 8. He says, uh, you, verse 7, you ask, how are we to return? Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? And he talked about their giving. And uh, their faithfulness to him had waned. And uh, that's the context of him saying, I change not. I'm almighty God. God is trustworthy. He's faithful. God is dependable. He always has been. He always will be. And it, it's vital for you and I to, to grasp who he is, what he says and what he does and remind ourselves that we can count on the fact that that never varies who god is what he says what he does he will change not so for the next few moments i've got a question for you how does this great truth how does that impact us this morning how should that impact us i want you to think with me I mean, we've been praising God, and we're praising a God who never changes. But I want to remind you, we change all the time. And things around us change. The world around us changes. Uh, God doesn't. But we can 
And if we're wise, we will. I want us to keep that thought in mind as we move through some biblical truths this morning. Let's take a look at how this works. Uh, Three biblical truths we're going to build around this morning. The first one is scripture. The second one is salvation. And the third one is sanctification. Three S's I want to leave with you this morning. Scripture is the word of God. And the word of God is the final authority for faith in practice. That's why the Apostle Paul tells us that all scripture was God-breathed. It was given of God and useful to us for teaching, for training, for correcting, for rebuking, so that the man or the woman of, of God may be thoroughly e- equipped for the work that God has in mind for them to do. You see, the word of God is the ultimate authority in this world. I mean, God is the creator of it all, and he gave us his word, scripture. He's protected what you and I have in our hands this morning, the word of God. He inspired it, and he's protected it, so that what you and I have and what we read and, and, and what we memorize and what we hide in our lives and so forth and, and hopefully obey and apply day by day is God's ultimate authority for you and for me. I mean, God deals with the human heart and soul according to his word. Most people don't realize that. Most people don't understand that, but that's how God works. So it would be wise for you and I, understanding that God deals with us based upon what he says in here, it would be wise for us to understand it, wouldn't it? And to know what it says. We must be willing to allow the word of God to impact our hearts and lives as we change and adhere to the instruction that he gives us. I don't know if you've ever thought about it being in this way, but back on June the 25th, 1962. That's the year I graduated from high school. The Supreme Court of the United States made a decision, and in that decision, they basically removed Scripture, the Bible, and what else from the public school system. Remember? Prayer. And at the time, I remember that, and I remember that was a big deal in so many ways. And, and, you know, I looked at it in a good way and and in a bad way and so forth, but it's kind of interesting to me as I was thinking about that this week. Um, When we remove the scripture and prayer from school, uh, there's a lot of ramifications. I realize that there's unsaved teachers out there trying to lead kids in prayer and that type of thing. Maybe that wasn't a wise thing to have prayer because of that. And I realize that no matter where you and I are, we can pray anytime we want. Nobody can stop us from praying if we want to pray. I understand all that. But then it it began to dawn on me a little bit this week. Uh, The word of God, the ultimate authority. When we worked in prison, directing a prison ministry, they they put it this way, the B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth. That's what they said the Bible was, and we used to talk a lot about if that's what the Bible is, wouldn't it be wise for you to apply those instructions while you're here on earth? And if you did, you might not be in the setting that you're in here in prison. We used to talk a lot about that with the men, and they'd interact with each other about that. But in a way, I look back on it, and it was kind of a tragedy. 
because basically what we were doing when that happened as a nation is we were telling boys and girls in the world around us that the word of God and interaction with God was nil and void and basically worthless. It wasn't important at all. There's much more important things than the word of God and interacting with God and coming into God's presence and calling out to him. That's basically, I think, what was being said back on June the 25th, 1962. I also uh, was reading something early this morning, and it was talking about the fact that 41% of the global population today is 24 years of age or younger, okay? 41%, that's almost half the population of the world is 24 years or younger. And on in that article, I don't have time to refer to the whole thing, so I jotted down a couple things. They have access to more education than it has ever been available. And yet there is less, quote, religion. And I know the answer isn't religion. It's a relationship with God. But I'm telling you, there's less religion, there's less emphasis upon God and his word in this world in our nation than there's ever been, okay? But there's more education made available. So hang with me here for just a moment. Scripture is the ultimate authority for your life, for my life. God deals with the human heart and soul according to his word. So we'd be wise to adhere to what God's word says and allow the Spirit of God to work and change us into what God desires you and I to be. Amen? I mean, that's what, that's what the Word of God is all about. It's given. It's given on purpose to instruct, to guide, to, in, to reprove if necessary. You know, um, in Psalm 119, and I'll read that passage, beginning at verse 97. Psalm 119 has 176 verses in it. We'll not read them all this morning. But every one of those verses talk about the word of God. Beginning at verse 97, here's what it says. Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Your commands make me wiser than my enemies, for my enemies are ever with me. Now I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. I have kept my feet from every evil path, so that I might obey your word. I have not departed from your word, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I hate every wrong path. And then verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. God does not change, and his principles and his truths never change. This is his word to you and I. And since God deals with us according to his word, 
we would be wise to allow that word to be a light to our path and a lamp to our feet. Probably the, to me, most heart-searching passage in all the word of God is Proverbs chapter 1. Beginning at verse 20, here's what it says. Wisdom calls aloud in the street. And I guess you could say wisdom is looking at life from God's point of view. Because you basically could put God in where wisdom is mentioned here. Wisdom calls aloud in the street. She raises her voice in the public squares. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. In the gateways of the city, she makes her speech. How long will you simple ones love your simple ways? How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? If you had responded to my rebuke, I would have poured out my heart to you and made my thoughts known to you. But since you rejected me when I called and no one gave heed when I stretched out my hand, and since you ignored all my advice and would not accept my rebuke, I in turn will laugh at your disaster. I will mock when calamity overtakes you. When calamity overtakes you like a storm, when disaster sweeps over you like a whirlwind, when distress and trouble overwhelm you, then they will call to me, but I will not answer. They will look for me, but will not find me. Since they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord, and since they would not accept my advice and spurn my rebuke, they will eat the fruit of their ways and be filled with the fruit of their schemes. For the waywardness of the simple will kill them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will live in safety and will be at ease without fear of harm. See why I'm saying that to me is one of the most heart-searching passages in all the Word of God? You realize that much of the judgment that comes upon us is not necessarily God pouring that judgment out upon us, but God steps back and allows you and I, as it says in this passage, to bear the fruit of our own choices and our own decisions. That's why the scripture is so valuable and vital to the human heart and soul. God never changes. He lets us know that. He gives us exactly what it is he desires and expects from us. He also tells us what he can bless and what he can't bless and honor. We would be wise to take it to heart, wouldn't we? And apply and obey the word of God. Another thought, salvation. God never changes. God so loved you and me so much that he gave his only begotten son. And he said, whoever it is that's willing to believe in him, to trust in him, will be forgiven. I, I will give them eternal, everlasting life. Jesus came into this world, sent by the Father, not to condemn us, but that the world through him might be saved. Salvation is a personal relationship with God through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Salvation involves a change in a person's life and therefore in their eternal destiny. 
Scripture says, if any man be or any one be, what? I say this all the time, in Christ, right? If any man be in Christ, what is he? He's a new creation. He's changed. The old is gone. The new has come. When you and I trust Christ as our Savior, we become a new creation. Things have changed drastically. It's my prayer this morning that you've made that decision. I made that decision at 17 years of age. Have you ever made that decision to personally trust Christ? To ask forgiveness of the sinner that we are, realizing that we have nothing to offer a holy God. But God loved us so much that Jesus came and Jesus propitiated, as the word, satisfied the Father's heart, the holy God, sovereign God, now can look at a human heart and soul like yours or mine as one who's been justified. Not in our own goodness. We had nothing to offer. But Christ in us, something else I always say, Christ in you is what? Our hope of glory. Colossians chapter 1 says this. The Apostle Paul speaking. And he's moved by this tremendously. He has given his life to this. Proclaiming the gospel truth, he says. Admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. There's no way you and I are going to be able to present ourselves perfect to Jesus. Not in that way, but Jesus is perfect. And when the Father looks at you and I, he looks through the finished work of Jesus Christ as dealing with sin once and for all. So I have a question for you this morning. Has your life changed in reference to sin? Have you understood the need of being saved by grace through faith? Not of yourself, but salvation is a gift of God. It's not of works. Not of works. It's God's grace. You, you might say, well, Joe, why, why is this so important? Well, let me have your ear for a moment. There's a book out entitled Heaven. It was written by Randy Alcorn. And in that book, he shares these statistics. Now, worldwide, I don't know if you realize this, but three people die every second. Three people just die. Every second. 180 people die every minute worldwide. Nearly 11,000 people die every hour. And if the Bible is right about what happens to us after death, more than 250,000 people every day go to either heaven or hell. 250,000 people every day exit this world. I mean, that should stagger your mind. It should. It sure staggered mine. Never thought about it in that way before. One quarter of a million people depart this earth every single day, bound for one of two destinies. How can I say that? 
I can't say it without being burdened. I need to be more broken than I am. But that's what the Bible says. There's only two destinies. We either go to be with him for all eternity or we're separated from him for all eternity. Um, the fact that death is a universal truth is illustrated every time you and I walk by or walk through a cemetery in this world. Death is every person's fate because every man, woman, and child is guilty of sin against God. The wages of sin is what? Death. It doesn't stop there, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's why in our prison ministry, after a while, the men began to understand that in Christ was the key. It wasn't what we've done or what we didn't do. It's not how bad we've been. That's not the thought. It's vital to be in Jesus Christ. In Christ, that's the only hope that you have and the only hope I have. My prayer this morning is that you know Jesus and that you're ready to meet him. You see, we back up to Scripture. Scripture is what God has given us, the Word of God, the ultimate authority. And, and, and in His love and in His grace and mercy, He gives us the truth. This was an epitaph on a hundred-year-old tombstone in an Indiana cemetery. Listen closely. I quote, this is what was on the tombstone. It says, pause, stranger, when you pass me by. As you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so you will be. So prepare for death and follow me. Let me repeat that. That's you and I in a cemetery in Indiana, and we walk up upon this tombstone, and here's what we read. Pause, stranger, when you pass me by. As you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so you will be. So prepare for death and follow me. And then an unknown visitor to the cemetery saw the tombstone after focusing upon it for a few moments and thinking about it, scrolled a reply. This was the reply. To follow you, I'm not content until I know which way you went. Wise reply, huh? Uh, I chuckled when I read that. But it didn't take me long to realize this is no joke. This is no joke. 250,000 people every day passing off into eternity. One of two destinations. God tells us how to spend eternity with him forevermore. Do you know him this morning? I trust you do. If not, why not? Why not today? Why not now? Simply ask him to come in and forgive, realizing that you and I have nothing to offer him. But what he has to offer us is life-changing, and that's coming from a God who never changes. What he says, you can believe, you can trust.
you can take God at his word. Lastly, when you and I have come to a place in our life where we've trusted Jesus as our personal Savior, Scripture says, and Jesus made this comment in John 17, verse 17, he said, Sanctify them, God, by the truth. Your word is truth. In other words, it's the ultimate authority. It's what God wants you and I to know. It is basic instructions before leaving earth because once we leave earth, it's too late. It's too late. So God has given us his word. He's opened up the door of salvation to the heart and life of the human soul. But when you and I come to know Jesus Christ, the way you and I are set apart, God sets us apart. That's what sanctification means, to be set apart by God for him. Three thoughts before we close today. Do you realize when you and I trust Christ as our Savior, the moment that we trust him, we are positionally set apart by him. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 talks about we are baptized, which means we are placed into the body of Christ. That's what the Spirit of God does. At 17 years of age, when I trusted Jesus as my personal Savior, the moment I did, that very moment I was placed into the church, the, the organism, the body of Christ in which he is the head. And you and I who know Jesus are the members of that body. We're positionally sanctified when we trust Christ as our personal Savior. But once you and I know him, on a day-by-day basis, in a practical way, we are being set apart by God as well. You see, he sanctifies us, he set us apart. Uh, we allow the Spirit of God to take the Word of God and apply it to our hearts and lives in increasing ways. 2 Timothy 2.15 says to study to show ourselves approved unto God, workmen who need not to, to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You see, it's a sad situation when you and I fall into sin. And as a believer, when you and I fall into sin, God has to deal with that, okay? He forgives and he cleanses, but there's consequences that come with that. In a practical way, God wants us to take that scripture that he's given us and not only just understand it, but to do it and apply it in our hearts and in our lives. That's what it means to be sanctified in a practical way. We take the word of God and we allow the spirit of God to teach us, to illuminate our minds and hearts and then, if we're wise, we change according to what we learn and to the conviction that comes our way. And in a practical way, we become more Christ-like today than we were yesterday. That's God's goal for you and me. We'll never be like him till we get to glory. And that's our next thought. In a positional way, when you and I trust Christ, so we just talked about salvation. When a person makes that decision, they're placed into the church, that organism of the body of Christ. Local churches like Christ Community Church are all across the world made up of those who are part of the organism. Some from every tribe and nation are part of that body of Christ. In a local way, the body is represented all throughout the world. 
That's what happens when you and I, the moment we trust Christ, we're placed into that body. In a practical way, we grow day in and day out by taking the word of God and letting it do a work in our hearts. We obey it. We apply it day by day. But one of these days could be today. Could be today. I mean, 250,000 people today are going to leave this earth. Could be today. but Probably not. We don't know. But prophetically speaking, prophetically in the view of future, you and I are going to be sanctified at the rapture or when God calls us home. There's three parts to that, positionally, practically, and then prophetically. Our citizenship is where? Our citizenship is in heaven, isn't it, as a believer? Citizenship is in heaven. We eagerly await a Savior, the Lord Jesus, who will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. You see, God never changes, but if we're wise, we change. We allow the Spirit of God to make us more like the Savior. The world is watching and waiting in many ways. God gives the world the right to judge whether he came from heaven or not based upon how you and I love one another and love the Lord and the example of that. He also gives the world the right to judge whether we are truly believers, Jesus followers or not, based upon the unity of God's people and their love for the Lord and for each other. But one of these days, Scripture says you and I will be changed. Could it be in a moment? Could it be in a flash in the twinkling of an eye? The trumpet will sound. The dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. We will be changed. 1 Corinthians 15, 50 through 52. Are you ready? Are you ready? Do you know? Do you, do you realize this morning the value of what you have in your hands or in the chair rack in front of you? Um, we need to fall in love new and fresh with the Savior and with the word that he's given us because it's the ultimate authority and God will deal with you and me and those who make up this world based upon his word. We toss the word salvation and saved around a lot. But it's a powerful biblical truth. Are you saved? You see, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord, it says, shall be what? Saved. It's a biblical truth. It's a biblical word. Without him, we're lost separated from him forever. I trust you know him today. If you do know him, he wants us to grow. He wants us to continue to change. The goal is to be more like Jesus. We're in Christ. And he wants us to be more like him. Would you sing a song with me? Do you know the doxology? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise King of creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, 
It's saying, praise God, from whom all blessings flow. It's a scriptural truth. Praise him, all creatures here below, but then it moves on up to glory. Praise him above ye, heavenly host. We're praising the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, the Trinity. For a lot of reasons, but there's three scriptural truths that we're wise to adhere to. The scripture, salvation, sanctification. Amen? Father, we're grateful today for the Lord Jesus. It means so much to us. To be secure. To know that the moment we trust you, that our destiny changes. Lord, we're secure and safe for all eternity. But Lord, as I pray for my own heart today, I pray for the hearts of those who are within earshot of my voice today. Give me a heart, not only for you, Lord Jesus, but for those who don't know you. I praise you for those who prayed for me and talked with me and encouraged me and lived a life of testimony and example before me so that in my late teenage years, my eyes were open to the truth of who you were. And when my God died, I met the true God. And I'm so grateful today. Give me a heart for the lost. Burden my heart, Father, for those who don't know you. As you burden my heart, burden the heart of each one of us in this place today. No doubt, even though we're not a large group, there's no doubt probably someone in here today who doesn't know you. And I pray for the Spirit of God to do something special in their heart and life today and bring them to himself. For without you, we have no hope. For those of us who do know you, may we be obedient. May we take the word of God, apply it in our day-by-day walk and journey so that others who look at us from time to time, we might be the only Bible they ever read. May we not fail you. We have the Spirit of God within. May we allow him to make us more like Jesus. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. We certainly wait. Amen.